Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Dave and Marlo, a Blazers Ed podcast about the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA and all kinds of good stuff. I'm Dave Deckard here together with Marlo Ferguson. And wow, Marlo, since we talked last, the playoffs have halfway resolved. Uh, let's start in the West. The Denver Nuggets swept the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers made a really good run at the game four, the deciding game. It came down to LeBron James, ball in his hand, last shot, didn't make it. Denver celebrates going to the finals for the very first time in their history. Ten seconds later, LeBron James says, you know what, I might retire. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about LeBron. Now, there are mixed feelings about that, but let's start here. Do you think there's any way that LeBron hangs it up at this point, I don't know. He, he feels a great player. That I think when you look at his numbers, you know, if, if anybody else had done what he did in the postseason, I think you'd look at it with a lot more appreciation. But since it's LeBron James and he's got that such a high standard, um, you know, people kind of look at it and they say, "Oh, he's declining. He's, he he didn't play up to standards and, and things like that." I thought he played well. I thought he he played a little bit passive in that uh, second half. You know, to go for, go for thirty one in the first half and finish with forty. You know, you can't take anything away from that, but. Um, it's it's tough, you know. And if if, it's, if this was his last game, uh, I think I'm not gonna look at it and say he he, he came up short. I think he had an excellent excellent series, excellent game. So um, all things considered, it was it was it was a fun series, and you know you hope hopefully you see him back again though. I think if he quits, it's not because he's tired of LeBron. I think he's tired of the stuff. Is my guess. You know, that team was a soap opera all year long they look denver deserves to be where they are but you'd think the lakers could win at least one game you know and it's like uh, i don't know it just feels like some kind of mental emotional weariness and keep in mind that lebron doesn't know anything but his team you know everywhere he's been the the spotlight has been bright the expectations have been high and it's all centered around him He's supposed to have Anthony Davis with him, who's been up and down, in, in part, I think, because the spotlight is upon LeBron, and AD was the same way, right? And it's hard to adjust. But it just feels like LeBron is walking down a really wide road, increasingly by himself, without even realizing that on a side street there, there's help, and there's a different kind of basketball to be played, but he's never done it in his life 
And I'm not sure that it's ever going to be his role to do it. So I just think as he goes along, it's going to be like, I increasingly can't carry this. All I know is how to carry this. It's not going to work. And there's all this drama around me because I can't do it. I, I can see him walking away from that, but I don't, I'm sure it's not time for him to walk away from basketball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like I remember having this same conversation with LeBron and his teams 15 years ago, you know, 2009, 2008. He just, sometimes he just doesn't have the help that he needs. And he's at a point now where, you know, he's almost 40 years old. He really shouldn't be expected to be, you know, the guy like that every single night. Like, I think David should be a little bit consistent. Um, I'm sure the Lakers probably couldn't have expected for uh, D'Angelo Russell to get basically play off the floor. And they targeted him on defense and made him basically unusable. Um, so it's going to be a long slumber for the Lakers. Not that I'm complaining about that. I think it would be kind of fun to see them kind of deal with what we've had to deal with. But um, I think when they look back at that series, you know, it, it shows they're actually pretty close. You know, it, it reminded me a lot of that, uh, that 2019 series with Portland and Golden State where every game was every game was close. It was a competitive sweep. But they lost by, was it 6-4? They had one game lost by 13. So it won't do it justice, but they – they play well. I think they can bring it back next year with, with a little little bit different and maybe have a better result. Well, and to be clear, I would say I place 50% of the blame on the Lakers for who they surrounded LeBron with. Now, I think AD, it was a curious move to begin with. I mean, you don't want a backseat drive because they did win the title in 2020 with him. But like that kind of power forward-ish center thing, even if your power forward can go outside like LeBron, is always a weird thing. But uh, I, I, I think they're, they haven't got the right mix. I think they did fantastically, though, at the trade deadline. I mean, getting rid of Ru Russell Westbrook, which was the huge mistake. Uh, and I think they did all right. So I think only half the blame goes there. I'm not sure LeBron, I mean, for all that he is, and he is certainly in the top two discussion for greater, greatest players of all time, for all that he is, I'm not entirely sure that he's seamless in making the people around him better in any other way than this is blindingly the greatest player of all time and therefore automatically on the floor he makes everybody better, sure. But, uh, you know, I look at, like, Chris Bosh and I look at AD and, you know, there have been other examples. Like, the more, the more people you have around LeBron uh, who are also blinding talents, the more those other people dim in LeBron's light. And again, I think up to now, no arguments, it's worked. But, you know, he's 38, 39. Some of those other lights got to shine around him now. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, and, and players have said that before. Our guy Rodney Hood said it. Kevin Loves, they've, they've, they've gone on record in saying that, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with playing for a guy like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's provided a question on if he's actually the the team better than everybody thinks he is. So this is a discussion to be had about that. Um, and I look back at that, that series this past week. Uh, CJ, you say it's a make or miss lead, and the Lakers just couldn't make shots down the stretch. Other than Austin Reeves, it was kind of hard to find a guy that could hit a three-pointer. So, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of comes down to, you know, just being ready for the moment. So I'm on the side of LeBron there where I think that, you know, guys need to step up a little bit. But uh, you can see both sides of it, and and you saw it here. But to your credit, like, to exactly what you said, they were two and ten and and made a trip to the Western Conference Finals. So everybody can say that. So I think it's a successful season, all things considered, for them. Yeah, from where it started, it sure is. Now, uh, two things are, are of interest there. 
I think, one illustrative to Blazers fans. I mean, L.A. couldn't hit the three all season. They resurrected that a little bit, but eventually it got to them, right? And this is what you got to understand about deep playoff runs. It's not just talent, right? It's talent that can produce under almost any situation. They're one of two things that happen. Either you're so good that nobody can get you in a situation where you can't excel. Like maybe you have weaknesses, but it, it, there's, there's no way that they can overcome you or push you in that corner, right? Or you basically don't have a lot of serious weaknesses. Because when you get to that level, somebody's going to Eric Spolster you. Somebody's going to make you do and win by the things that you do, if not worst, at least third or fourth best. And your third or fourth best plan has got to be series winning worthy. And this, this is literally true of championship teams. It was true of, of the Trailblazers back in Clyde Drexler's day. I mean, they ended up losing in the finals a couple times. But they lost honestly. I mean, they, they, they lost to a better team that was kind of unassailable. That team could not be pushed anywhere where they couldn't respond, whether it was Terry Porter hitting threes, Clyde Drexler driving down your neck, Jerome Kersey and Buck Williams beating you up. Or if all else fails, if you left Kevin Duckworth open on that baseline for that little turnaround half hook, he was going to hit it. And by the way, Cliff Robinson and Danny Ainge are coming off the bench. So, you know, it sucks to be you. I, that's, what, that's what you have to have if you really want to talk going into the NBA finals. You can't just add, you know, God bless Phoenix, but you, you can't just add a player and have a bunch of holes and think, well, you know, this player is going to carry me through. It, it doesesn't work that way. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. And uh, you've kind of got me trying to kind of connect the Blazers to everything that, that kind of happens. And uh, with this this series, I think it kind of draws back to Denver, too. You know, we've got a chance to see them over the last couple of years in the playoffs. And it's just that team has so many weapons, too. And, and Jamal Murray, he's, he's approaching that that top tier list of guys that when he's got the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter, you know, you, you've got a reason to be scared. Um, and I just thought that their late game execution was just Thousands, a thousand times better than the Lakers was. The Lakers seemed to be a little bit discombobulated, kind of confused with their play calls and whatnot. So uh, we've seen Denver up, up close and personal firsthand, and, and they're due. You know, you knew it was going to be a matter of time before they made their big run. And they got Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, so many different guys that can punish you and take over a game. So you know, I think it's well-deserved and, and well overdue at that point. Yeah, and I guess advocates for keeping Damian Lillard would say Denver stuck with it right? I mean, they didn't always have, they had injuries last year and they had some lack of success before, including in 2019 when they got taken on their home floor by the Trailblazers in seven, right? So look, you can see why people are saying, hey, you know, look, they didn't, they didn't get rid of Jamal Murray. They didn't get rid of Jokic, right? And now look what they're getting. The asterisk to that is, well, okay, but A, Nikola Jokic is young. B, Nikola Jokic is the MVP or next thing to it every year and completely unique in this league. He's like, he's Giannis. I'm not saying Embiid's not right there. I mean, they're, they're comparable. But Jokic, even Embiid, isn't exactly like Jokic. There's nobody like Nikola Jokic in the whole league. There's nobody like Giannis in the whole league. Can you say there's nobody like Dame in the whole league? Mm. Uh, um. Maybe in certain slices, but 
Steph Curry wants a word. Luka Doncic wants a word. John Morant wants a word. You know, there, there's some other. So there's a slight difference there. Also, sticking with it, like you got to ride with the five-year window and the Blazers don't have a five-year window anymore. They already done had it. So it could go either way. But there is some value in that organizational stability, especially for a small market team like Denver. Yeah, and I, I think to kind of double down on that, I think it shows the importance of having uh, not only superstar players, but superstar role players. Um, and Denver, I think, has that to a T. Uh, we'll get to Miami and Boston, but Miami, they're the same way. Like, on paper, their roster won't jump out at you, but having superstar role players that can step up their play, it's, it's, it's huge. And Denver kind of reminds me of, like, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the 2011 Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki and those guys. Like, they just always had a run for you. They always had, you know, key contrib- contributions from, you know, the role players and whatnot, and everybody kind of knew what to do. And they never looked nervous. Um, and Denver kind of, you know, they have that same kind of aura about them. Um, and that like I said, it's just you kind of knew it was coming. You could see that from a mile away with Jokic and Murray, and you just knew it as they got older and their games cool less more. It was it was going to work out. And uh, they're, they're right there at the doorstep now, and, and it's fun to see, from, even from the outside, even being a, a Blazers observer, it's, it's fun to see how they managed to overcome that and get there. Pretty awesome. Now, last question on that series. Did you see Austin Reeves' superstar coming in this playoffs run? I, I did not. I did not. I did not. From the regular season, you knew he had some of that good stuff that, that could take you far, uh, but I didn't really see that. And, you know, he's going to get paid very well for what he's done, so he'd love to see it. Absolutely yep. love to see it. Restricted free agent. Let's see how long it takes the Lakers to trade him for the next Russell Westbrook. <laughs> for Fred, <laughs> Fred Van Bleed or somebody. All right. So you've got the East now. We thought this was done. Uh, a week ago, this was over. Miami led Boston 3-0. Ha-ha. You know, Gage, playoff Jimmy. Poor Jason Tatum. A goodbye, Jalen Brown. Now, all of a sudden, Boston comes back and wins two. Now, they have the big one, the road game in Miami on Saturday. Uh, it will be today as this releases. What do you make of what's been going on in this series, and how have the Celtics bounced back? I think the, the biggest thing was uh, just the shot variance. You know, I think all postseason long, Miami's been able to uh, hit a lot of shots that I think I read in the first round they, when they played Milwaukee, they had a ten percent better chance than expected in terms of making three pointers, so they were getting a lot of luck with that. Um, and you sort of knew they was going to drop eventually. Um, and now Boston's starting to get their three pointers to fall too. So I think that's been the big thing is. It's just make or miss a lot of times, and they've, they've found some different avenues they can go to. Uh, I think they've gotten Grant Williams and those guys more involved. And Boston, you know, credit to them, they, they don't really have the same already they had last year, you know, under I'm, I'm a Udoka, but they do adjust, and I like the adjustments they made with Robert Williams and whatnot, and they, I think they're going to end winning the series. Yeah, again, the importance of a plan B, although in this case, a really extreme one. You think Boston's going to win this? I do. I mean, I... The Jimmy Butler fan in me doesn't want it to happen, but I think that uh, Boston, they're just they're just the more talented team. They've got the better team on paper, um, and it's its kind of hard to erase away. I think Boston was one of three teams that had a top-five offense and defense. Um, so when you have something like that going for you and you've got that big of a sample size, I think that it, it eventually is going to show out. I think they're going to end up being the better team over the last two. Yeah, last week uh, when Miami had just won the first one, I, I revealed that, I kind of wanted to pre-series bet on Miami to win the championship at this point now that they made it to the conference finals because the odds were really good. But I have no idea how to bet 
I don't, I don't even know who to call. So, and there's no local bookie here in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> here, so, uh, could have driven to Las Vegas and put down a, <laughs> put down a thousand on the heat and, uh, paid off the mortgage. Uh, anyway, uh, too late now, obviously. So I think Miami's still going to win this just because of repetition. I mean, that's the problem going down 3-0. It's not that you're not a quality team. It's not that you can't come back, but you've got to do four, right? And that's hard. But, you know, also of note, it's the inverse Lawler's Law. Instead of first team to 100 wins, it's last team to 100 wins. I mean, the only game one had both teams in the 110. Every other game has had the loser hovering around 100. I, you know, Boston scored 105 in game two, but 102 in game three, and the Heat didn't even crack 100 in games four and five. So, like, the defense, uh, or the shot variance, as you say, it could be one way or another. I mean, there could be a cursed leprechaun bouncing back and forth between these teams, but I think that the Celtics have turned it up a little bit defensively and exposed Miami a little bit. As we say... Saturday is the key one, although I wouldn't put it past Jimmy to, even if they lost Sunday, to just put a pie in Boston's face on Game 7. I mean, how, how tragic would that be? Yeah, we won Game 6, one more at home, and we're winning. Butler goes, nope, right in front of your fans. That would be so Jimmy. But uh, we'll see. It'll, it'll be really exciting for sure if they win well tonight from our listeners' perspective. Yeah, he's already pretty much guaranteed to win uh, twice already. And he's he's got a body of work to where when he says something, you know, people are going to listen. Um, so I think their, their best chance is going to be game six in Miami. Uh, but I want to ask you, so I went back and looked at the last team to force a game seven after being down 3-0. And I, I'm pretty sure you know it's the 2003 Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. And then they so close to winning it too. Um, do you remember a lot about that team? I mean, they came close, although there is an institutional amnesia, honestly, about that entire slide, because that's exactly when the transition to the Jailblazers was in full swing. So it's like, I do remember thinking, wow, this would resurrect things a bit if they came back. And of course, as it goes on, you root for them. But then when it didn't happen, I mean, the toxicity gets worse. I mean, obviously, burned in Blazers fans' mind much more is the fourth quarter collapse in 2000. I mean, because the, the Blazers were down, I believe, 3-1 in that one and uh, came back. And it's like, okay, game seven, going to win this. 12 minutes, going to win this. Bite me, Lakers. And Lakers like, no, you, you don't bite me. <laughs> I, I don't bite you, you bite me, right? So anyway, uh, yeah, those were sad. It was weird with that team. And here, too, I mean, we can relate this to today look the people who say i want damian lillard no matter what it does sound kind of like a pacifier okay here's your binky you know as long as lillard's here it'll be okay but i get it i get it because i remember even those successful late 90s early 2000s traveling all-star teams and yeah, I wanted them to win. And yeah, it would have been great. But I will, I will confess to you, it did not feel the same. It did not feel the same as Drexler. It did not feel the same, uh, even though I was tiny, as, as you know, the spirit that swept through Portland with Bill Walton. It was, you know, I don't know. And maybe that says more about us. Because I think I'm a huge Rasheed Wallace defender. Huge. 
you know, and even some of the stuff Bonzi did, okay. I don't think it was the worst stuff in the world. It just seemed like at the time. There was a lot of soul-searching that Portland needs to do about how they parsed out their relationship with that team. At the same time, as a fan back then, it wasn't going to be, it was going to be a championship, but there was something missing in it just because of that public relationship. So I get the Lillard love and how people want a championship with Dame, that that would be the ideal story. The question is whether they can actually get it. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's well said. Um, I don't know if I got anything to that, but I, 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 I see both sides of it. You know, I think there's a, a, a it's almost like 50-50 split. It almost seems like with people that want Lillard gone and people that would rather see him, you know, go away. I think for me, I'm, I'm still on the fence that I think I'll always be a, a pro Lillard in that sense. Uh, but the win now trades that we've talked about, you know, has it ever really worked? I think is the big question. You know, we've, we've tried that four or five years in a row and, and all we have to show for it is three playoff wins. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult to, you know, pick a side on that. I mean, I, let's let's parse that out a little bit. I don't think anybody really wants Lillard gone or wants them to trade him. Zero? Okay, not zero, but a vanishingly small number of people actually want to trade Dame. And almost nobody wants to trade Dame on Dame's own merits. You know what I mean? Everybody agrees. Phenomenal scorer, incredible feat last year. Uh, most charismatic player ever, face of the franchise, guy you want. All of those are universally or near universally acclaimed. The question is, is that the only factor? And there's the dividing line. And all these other factors about age and about you know, potential success and about opportunity for a rebuild, that's the dividing line. Zero people are going, let's Let's toss this dude. He's trash. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's definitely people in the ring culture that say that he hasn't done anything for Portland, but, you know, I think we, we're all in agreement that that's just completely untrue. Um, I don't know. I, I see both sides of that. I think the big thing at his age now, you want to try to get as much as you can if you do trade him. You know, it's going to be harder to do that later, but um, I don't know. I, I think if it were up to me, I think you, you, you either take the number three pick and you trade Simons or you trade the number three pick and see what you can get, but I don't know. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to see how it's going to work out right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because I have, I get squirmy about this ring culture stuff, and I get what people are saying. But you know what? If you're in the NBA, you need to be in the ring culture. That's what you're playing for, right? And I've been trying to parse out. I haven't come successfully to a good conclusion yet. Otherwise, I'd write about it, right? But my thought is either within the span of the 82 games or as soon as that ball tipped in the first quarter, you have to be ring culture and nothing else. You are there to win. And if you're there for any other reason, that is kind of, that's kind of breaking the contract a little bit. I'm not saying you can't be a human being. I'm not saying you know, that other things in life don't come up. Within that context, if we're talking about a professional sport, you play that professional sport to win. And anything else is going to break your franchise and break your locker room, ultimately, because you get other agendas creeping in, and you'll never succeed. That said, is, are rings the most useful metric from which to view a player's career or overall ability? I think they're nearly useless, because... 
you can absolutely come up with other things that affect that, including teammates and dominant. I mean, look, Clyde Drexler was phenomenal. He just ran up against Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. And those two things were insurmountable at that time. Doesn't mean Clyde was any less of a player. I think there are, there are basically three people in the history of forever who are really can be accurately judged by ring culture, and that's probably Michael and LeBron and Bill Russell. That, that ring culture is accurate for gauging how great they were. Everybody else, it's completely hit and miss. Yeah, I think people sort of forget that you know, only one team wins a championship every year. Um, and, and you look at it, there are so many teams that have never won a championship, have never made the finals. This is Denver's first ever finals appearance. So I think to say that they were a, a failed franchise for that, uh, I think it's, it's kind of unfair to say. Um, and just thinking about Lillard with his legacy and whatnot, I don't know. I, 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 sit, I sit back and wonder sometimes, has he really done exactly what we expected or more than we expected? Um, and, and for him to be able to do what he's done with, with no, all-star, no all-star teammates since 2015, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, do you think that he's done exactly what we expected? Do you think he's kind of overachieved or underachieved with what he's had? Or, yeah, I mean, it depends on what. Well, let me say this too: that only one team wins a championship. Completely accurate to say in the summer. Yep. If you tell me that in the third quarter, I'm gonna bench you. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and even post game, like, there's I have some qualms about that. So again, it's all timing, right? It's all what the context is. And the problem is I think people want to jump context both ways. I think there are players who just kind of shrug and give up on the season or give up on a game. And it's like, hey, you know what? We are who we are. And that's who we're always going to be. And I'm here collecting a paycheck and writing out this wonderful career. Uh, And it's like, well, okay, respect. But you need to go and play alongside LeBron, who doesn't do that. And then you can have that attitude and it won't matter, right? But then there are other people, sports talk wanks and stuff like that, who just go, you know, ah, rings are everything, and he doesn't have a ring, so he sucks. It's like, no, no, you also need to go somewhere else. Has Dame done what we expect? Look, again, what's your context? You got a sixth pick overall in 2012. Five players were selected ahead of him. And... For the most part, I mean, look, Anthony Davis, sure. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, you have to look him up, right? Uh, Bradley Beal, yeah. Uh, Dion Waiters, again, no. And Thomas Robinson, I mean, my gosh, I, we had him cycle back in for te- a cup of coffee with the Blazers, right? So, look, has Dame, Dame has outplayed, I think, everybody ahead of him except Davis, and even Bradley Beal. I know Bradley scored a lot, but Dame has gotten farther. So, yeah, I would say that not only has Dame done what you'd expect, he's done phenomenally more than you could expect out of the average six-pick in an average draft. The problem is Dame set his own expectations, and some were set for him culturally, I think, as soon as LaMarcus left. As, as, as long as LaMarcus stayed, I think Dame's growth curve could have been normal, right? I mean, it's just like he's a great, great player. So is LaMarcus. They're going to go far. When LaMarcus left and they repackaged Dame as the savior of the franchise, and to his credit, he stepped up to that very, very quickly. Now, all of a sudden, he's never lost that designation. 
that, by the way, did not come upon him because of just what he was doing. And the Blazers and the people who gave it to him never built around him sufficiently to provide enough infrastructure to support it. Now, all of a sudden, here comes the narrative. Well, Dave didn't, Dave, sorry, not Dave, that's me. Dame didn't do what was expected. All right. Well, at what point, though? What point in time? You know, last one. So 2012? Sure, he did. 2016 and 17? Well, maybe he fell short of what people were saying about him then. 2022? Oh, hell yeah, he did. 32 years old, 30, scoring 32. He, he scored his age. He scored 32 points at 32 years old. That's way more. Show me someone else who's doing that. So, yeah, like, it depends on when you ask and how you ask, but I think it's worth noting that when you say no, you're talking about expectations that were put on him more than the ones that grew organically. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I, looking at it like that, he's definitely got kind of thrown into the fire a little bit. Um, and he's, he's found a way to outpunch his weight. I'm thinking back on a lot of his series, other than the 2018 Pelican series, I think that every other one, I think you can say he either won it or he, he went out swinging in a loss, and maybe you didn't expect him to win that series. So it's kind of fun to think about. Uh, I, I kind of wonder that from seeing people talk all the time about he didn't win a championship. You know, he hasn't had as much success as, you know, some of the other guards in the league and some of the players in the league. So um, hopefully they give him one more chance. You know, I think it's going to be kind of fun to see if they decide to trade that pick or if they can, you know, get a little bit older or what they do. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd love to see them go one more run and then try to find that perfect balance between kind of trying to win now and win later with him. I think it's doable, even if a championship isn't, you know, the, the, the end result per se. Well, and that's really interesting because the hot debate swirling right now. Now, we've, had, we've been through trade rumors season. Now we're sitting and taking stock of all the rumors that are coming out because there's literally no player who's been mentioned in, in the entire league that's even vaguely possible who hasn't been connected with Portland at some point. So we've got all the possibilities on the board. And what Blazers fans are saying right now is, what, that's it? I mean, we were talking Joel Embiid like a couple months ago, and now you're, you're telling me we, we're looking at Wendell Carter Jr. For, for the number three pick and Anthony Simons? What? So here's the big question. What do you think that number three pick is really worth? I mean, is it enough in itself to pull a superstar? And here's the thing, too. Can the Blazers get value in trading it that would be better than the value they get by using it? Based on what I've, I've read this week, it, it doesn't seem to have as much value. Um, if we're talking about Wendell Carter Jr. And, and Gary Harris and guys like that, you know, with all due respect to them. Um, you know, the Blazers probably expected, and the fans at that too, they probably expect to see something a lot bigger. And um, on the Walsh pod earlier today, they talked about how they were trying to trade for a pretty elite player. So I think that that's a pretty pretty low step compared to you know what we're kind of expecting. Uh, I know there's, there's been some names, you know, you got Pascal Siakam and Jalen Brown and guys like that, that. I feel like you're gonna have to have to uh, trade in order to get that trade the number three pick in order to get them. So I don't know. I felt a lot of I felt a lot better about it a couple of weeks ago, but I don't feel as as, as bullish about you know what's gonna be what what the return is gonna be for it now though. All right, I'm going to name some names for you, and then uh, you can tell me yes or no whether you do it, and it, it would be like number three, Simons, or whatever. But also, I should say this. Here's how the fan mind works, because I hear a lot of this. So, like, Blazers fans, like, talk about trading it, right? It's like, if it was the number six pick, and all things were equal, 
they would be saying, well, the Blazers got number six. It's, you know, the, the Dame was at number six. We can get a great player. Then you got the number three pick in a deep year, and you're going like, well, no, that's not, we will be better off trading that. We got Dame with number six. He's literally the guy you're trying to preserve. So I get the timing issue, but yeah, I think that's actually a pretty high value, that pick staying here and being you. But let's assume we got to trade it, and let's assume we got to package Ant with it for salary purposes and probably some other players to, to gather the kind of person we're talking about. So we know Embiid's always on the table. Uh, Jalen Brown, sign and trade, I would assume, uh, or you know, we'd have to figure out how to do that. But would you take Jalen Brown for that package? I'm saying yeah to that. I'd take Jalen Brown, yeah. Okay. Pascal Siakam? Uh, I, I felt a little bit better about it uh, a couple months ago, but I'm like 50-50. I would probably lean no, uh, just because of like what I, I talked about a couple weeks ago. He's going to be 30 years old by the time the playoffs come around next year. Um, and we've seen his production kind of decline a little bit, you know, I think there was a long stretch between like December and, and like mid mid March where he was like number one in minutes, and you know the production just wasn't there as, as it was earlier in his career. So I'd be kind of worried about that. But there are a lot worse things you can do. So I, I wouldn't mind that either, though. Yeah, I think I'd do it. I mean, they've been playing him at center. They've been playing him in weird positions and expecting him to do way too much. And I think he'd fit in great with Dame. So if you're going to make a move, I'd make that one. I think. Uh, let's assume. I think Jimmy Butler's off the table now, don't you? I mean, <laughs> I don't think you could get him anymore. He's untouchable now. You need, <laughs> if he use, wasn't our- need to use that playoff game. Draymond Green, we wouldn't consider for that package, I assume, because that would be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So here's an interesting one in the middle, though. Cat, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. I'm leaning a big no in that sense. You know, he's got a, a, a monstrous contract. And I think we talked about that before, too. Like, just I don't really think that he can be your number one or your number two guy if you're you know, trying to pursue a championship. And with all due respect to him, he just doesn't raise his game to the level that I think you want to see from a, a superstar player. So I'll probably see if you can go elsewhere. You know, I think he, he's, he's a great player, but I think there are better fits for him. Yeah, I would say, yeah, no... Carl Anthony Towns will be the kind of guy who looks great for about 35 games. And I don't mean the first 35. They're going to pop up here and there. But, oh boy, you just don't. And to talk about playoff weaknesses, look, I'm not denying that he could win you a playoff game or two all on his own. He can. But, oh boy, you're not going to want to depend on him systemically. There's a big hole in the wall there defensively. Which again, next to Dame, nah, not good. We are Nurkic. Nurkic is not a great defender in my estimation. People bring up stats that you know, whatever. But I, you know, having watched Nurk for seven years now, like he just doesn't move fast enough and consistently enough for me to for me to call him a good defender. But Nurkic would defend much better and does defend much better than Carl Anthony Towns does. It would take every problem the Blazers have and magnify it. So I'm a big no on that. I'm trying to think of who else is reasonably available that would rise to that level. I, I, you know, that's the problem is the list of these players is pretty short, right? I don't know if I imagined it, but I could have sworn I seen something about uh, like Anthony Simons and, and DeMar DeRozan, which I'm not saying I would do that because sure. the age difference there is huge and, and DeMar's another guy. His, his postseason resume isn't, isn't the greatest. 
Right. Uh, but kind of interesting to think about. So we're, if we're talking the pick and, and Simon's nope. for, for anyone from, from, from Chicago, no. That's, that's, you, you could throw that in Lake Erie. That's not going to... You can go jump in Lake Erie after it, too. I'm not taking Zach Levine. I'm not taking DeMar DeRozan for any kind of big package. And you know what? Even DeRozan, you got to play him at small forward here, right? I mean, if he comes in, you assume you have some guard left because if you've traded Sharp and Simons for DeRozan, I think, I, I think the Blazer fans will dismantle the Moda Center brick by brick right now. Yeah, your future is over if you do that. So I, I, I'm on board with that. I, I, yeah, I mean, and here's the problem, right? Once you take away those, okay, you're window shopping at Tiffany's, right? You're like, Joel Embiid, look, honey, it's Giannis. Maybe I'll get you that for an engagement ring. And it's like, oh, you're so sweet. In the back of your mind, you're going, I can't afford that. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll go to Zales and I'll get something. It's three quarters of a carat princess cut. She'll like it anyway. And it's like, this is the problem with the Blazers. Like, okay. Once you take out Giannis and Embiid, it, it gets pretty bad pretty quick. You're going, oh, come on, Siakam. I hope, I hope that they have a discount on my, you know, boutique jewelry store here because otherwise, you know, we, we are mass market here. And the problem is, this is the thing, is that that currency doesn't scale, right? The third pick is the third pick almost no matter what, give or take who is taken there. You can't get change for it. Well, I guess you can. You can get the 11th, but, you know... You cannot, you can't make the third pick into two and pay less. You're paying the third pick. You can't divide Anthony Simons or rent him out for half the year. These guys, these assets are literally gone for the trade you make, and they're not coming back. I think Portland is bumping up against that reality. Yeah, and it's going to hit them too if they don't figure something out. And I think you said it a couple of weeks back. The timing of it is just always just a little bit off. You know, the guys that you know Portland could potentially get. You always either get them where they're, you know, it's used goods where Shaquemi's already played seven years with, with Toronto. And other than Jalen Brown, I don't know. It feels like everybody else has kind of kind of been there, done that, and maybe they don't have as much left in the tank. So uh, I don't know. It's going to be very hard to kind of navigate between not giving away your entire future, but also still putting a championship contending team around you. Um, and for that reason, I think that I'm almost kind of just taking somebody at number three. If you can get Brandon Miller at number three, and Trey Simons, you can run out a, a pretty big versatile lineup. So, you know, I, I don't think that's the, the worst case scenario. Uh, but it'd be fun to see how it plays out, though. Well, and we do realize, folks, that trades can happen later, too, right? If the right deal doesn't come along with the number three pick, it, they can still happen with the player you selected number three, right? So, look, the idea would be everything's set going into June and you know what you're going to do. But if that doesn't happen, you take the best player available and you run with it and you play him and you try to explain it to Dame, look, either, we're, either this guy's going to be so good he's going to change your mind or we're going to develop this asset and then move it. But we can't make a deal right now that you're going to like, right? Yeah, I think you just got to keep every option open. Um, and they've got number 23 pick too. So you can, you just got some leverage there. Um, and I think this is a much better position to be in than, you know, we maybe previously thought with the number six or seven pick. So, uh, just hoping for the best, but I, I don't know. It's going to be tough. There are so many unattainable elite players, but also I think everybody else under that, you don't want to give up too, uh, too much. So it's, it's hard to say at this point.
So here's another possibility that has come up, though, which is trading down. And we've heard Indiana and we've heard Orlando. And let's, let's not worry about, let's assume something decent is coming back for that. Just on the basis of the draft pick, would you feel comfortable trading out of three to six or seven or even lower? Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I probably wouldn't. Uh, but it's not not the worst draft to do it because there are so many different like similar skill sets and, and play styles and whatnot. You got so many six eight, six seven, six nine guys that you know are super athletic and can do so many different things on the floor that you know they may not be as like they may not be as good as say Brandon Miller, but you can get something that kind of compensates for that and you get two guys instead of one. So I think it's definitely an option. Uh, but I think that if you were to ask me today, I think I would go with the number three. Um, and just keep that. But it's, it's, it's definitely something to think about, which is how similar guys are. Though. I really wish Utah didn't excel this year or that they had something that the Blazers would want because that would be a nice little trade, you know, cha-cha. They're at number nine, which is not infinitely far out of the draft. And you could see them paying really handsomely to move up to the top three. But the problem is, Laurie Markinen's about the only guy that you'd even consider wanting because everybody else they have is a guard, or Kelly or Olenek, which is not, it's not in the conversation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Utah has got maybe the right motives, but the wrong players. Uh, Orlando, maybe, but as you say, that's pretty, I mean, that's dicey, right? I, the, the thing is, if you move down, you've got to have at least one asset that you go, this definitely bridges the gap between a good guy and a potential franchise changing guy and i'm not sure even orlando has that that they'd give up anyway indiana i have no idea what they'd give up anyway either rather uh is there anyone from the pacers that you would even consider swapping picks for i mean miles turner would that do it for you mm, I, I don't know i'm, I'm kind of on the fence if you were to ask me i think i'd, I'd almost kind of rather have Walker Kessler from Utah. I don't think you, you trade him for the number three pick, but he's an elite run protector and he's only going to get better with his age. Um, you like you like him too? I was yeah, assuming I like they Kessler. weren't going to give him up, but I'd think about yeah. that. Anyway, go go for it. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, um, thinking about it now, I don't think it, it'd be too terrible if you if you left the draft with, say, one of the Thompson brothers at number six and then you got, you know, Jarris Walker at number 11 or something like that. Um so I don't know. I'm kind of warming up to the idea. I think I still on the I'm still on the on the the side of keeping the number three pick. But uh, there's, there's so many different options with that number three pick that we that we didn't expect to have. So it's it's kind of fun to see. But no, I don't want to take anybody from Indiana though. So yeah, you wouldn't. So if Indiana came to you and said uh, Miles Turner uh, and number seven that they have for Yusuf Nurkic, maybe. Keon Johnson and number three. Would you do that? Oh, it's very tempting because you can, you can, I always get this phrase wrong, but you can kill two birds with the same stone. Um, if you do that, you got a, a mobile defensive center, more versatility there, and you don't fall back too much. I, I think that I, I definitely think about that idea. I wouldn't hang up the phone. What about you? Would you, would you do it? It's tempting. And I have not heard this one. We may have just come up with it here uh so i mean just in the last 10 seconds you may have heard one of the possible moves uh turner's got one two years left on his contract at 20 million or 21 and then it declines to 20 next year 
So the contract is right. You're not paying him much more than you're paying Nurkic. You can still fiddle around with the luxury tax. He's 28 years old, which is fine. I mean, right, he's right in the gap, same gap Nurkic is in. Um, I think he improves the Blazers athletically. I just, if you're going to trade the number three pick and you really don't think that player is going to help you, you could do a lot worse. That would be a way to split the middle. You know, you get one young lottery player, especially if you like someone at Indiana's level at the number seven pick. If you're going like, okay, there's this guy that I really like that I think, you know, uh, Brandon Miller's better, but this guy will be a future in Portland or have a future. And Miles Turner helps me right now. It would be an elegant way to kill two birds with one stone, as you say. I think it's actually a well-thought-out trade uh, for you to come up with that in, in 10 seconds, uh, just because of what it does for the win now and the win later. So it's it's definitely fun to think about. I think it's definitely a, a Blazers kind of move. You know, there's not really many home runs to be hit for the Blazers um, at number three or in general, just because of them being such a small market and not really having all of the resources that other teams do. So I think it's definitely a Blazers-type move. Uh, I think it would signify to, to Damian Lillard that you, you you are thinking win now without sacrificing your entire future. And if you can do that trade and, and still keep, you know, leverage to trade Simons and guys like that, then I think it, it's, it's definitely uh, something to think about. So I think it's I think it's a good trade. So we shall call that the Dave if they if they pull okay. pull the Dave trade. There we go. All right. Well, oh boy. So our consensus is that you know what? As much as Blazer fans want it to. To be and it is worth it is worth a lot in trade. It, it's worth. I mean, we're talking about significant names here, sure. But number three alone is not enough to pry a super elite player, and the number of players right below that level is rapidly dwindling to Pascal Siakam, right? And a couple others that people are going to try to sell you are at that second tier, but aren't really. So is that our consensus? That yeah, it's worth a lot, but there's not the right stuff to buy with it. And so uh, it might be m- worth more executed or in kind of a hybrid trade. Is that where we landed? I think we're, we're pretty much on consensus with that. You know, other than other than Brown and Siakam, it's kind of hard to envision both sides seeing it as a, a beneficial trade. So yeah. I think we're, yeah, I think we're both on page with that. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So we'll have asterisks for Jalen Brown and Pascal Siakam. Everybody else is either a no or a can't get them at this point. With the with also the trade down being to Indiana, I guess we didn't check Orlando, but we've we've been through that, right? I mean, it's the yeah, that's that's not enough. It's uh, you, it's the Hakeem Elijahwan problem, right? Or Ralph Sampson, whichever one of them was traded uh, for the draft. The draft pick was traded for like five good players, and then oh, regretted that for years. It's the same thing. Okay, so of consistent buzz in the blazer universe course is still what dame is going to do i don't know that we know anything else new here it's like is this just going to be in the washing machine now admittedly i wrote a couple of summary pieces this week uh about this issue but part of the frustration is that both sides are right about the point that they are making but neither side agrees on which point should be decisive, right? It's like one side's arguing that, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken is great for dinner. That's fine. Another side is arguing that Subarus are also good to drive. That's fine. 
and they're trying to make a decision. Is it chicken or is it Subarus? Right. And it's like, okay, nobody's putting it all in context or putting it all together, finding a way to marry these two. And so people are fighting like cats and dogs about this. The front office can't be divided like this, right? They've got to have an overall plan, one would hope, right? Yeah, you would hope. Uh, but this is one of those, those weird times where it feels like everybody's kind of quiet about what the next move is going to be. Um, so it's kind of hard. To, I think we're going to really have a hard time with this conversation until like a couple, a couple of days before the draft or, or actually during the draft maybe too. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to say. I think we've kind of had these discussions with, with you know what we're going to do with, with Damian Lillard and, and who they're going to bring on board. But I was thinking about this too with the Siakam. Isn't he on like a one-year like expiring deal too? Yes, he so is. So like it's already kind of similar to Jeremy Brent then. So if you – like you dodge lightning once, now you got to dodge it twice with Siakam. And, and my question now is, is, is the situation in Toronto that much worse or, or better than Portland? So it's going to be tough to see how that plays out too. Yeah, with him, it's in for a penny, in for a billion. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that the Blazers have got to resign. Now, Grant, I believe, will resign here because the Blazers will offer him the house. And they have to, and people don't understand this yet, they have to because if he leaves, they get nothing, right? Not only did they lost their, lose their pick, they also lost a trade chip. And even making $30 million, see, what's part of the problem with Portland right now? You've got Anthony Simons making $25 million, Yusuf Nurkic making 15, and no one else has a contract that can leverage these trades. That's why you see people, people are up in arms. Anthony Simons is in every trade, and he's a really good player. Well, yes, because you have to have him in there because he's the only one who makes any money in that middle ground, Right. So he has to be included in the trade, and now you're looking, okay, Simons and, and, and number three, you're like, well, we better get Joel Embiid for that. And it's like, no, you can't. You have to throw him in to get a lesser player because that's all you can afford. That's going to happen uh, if the, the Blazers don't sign Grant. They're going to still have that big donut in the middle of their uh, roster salary-wise, and they are not, uh, they're not going to get salary cap money to change or to, to sign somebody who could fill his place. He's not going to create any uh, if he leaves. So they're going to spend a mint on him. Pascal Siakam, if you just spent Simons and the number three pick and whatever else to get him, you cannot. That's sunk cost. You, you are committing to whatever he wants for the rest of his life, basically, to, to re-up him the next year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I know the deadline's coming up for Jeremy Grant, but I, I've got a lot of hope. And if that lineup does materialize, where you get Siakam and Grant and Sharp and Lillard and whoever else we got in there, I think it's. it's I'm not going to say a championship contender, but something very close. I think they get to the second round, and I just you just have to hope that that's enough for Siakam to persuade them and to stand. You know, if it happens, so I don't know. It's it's, it's fun to think about, but also very very stressful too. Well, and that's the scary part is it's not getting better, right? Like, you're not forecasting an upward growth curve. You're, you've pressed at the hill, and you're trying to add passengers to the car as you're rolling down it, right? And it's like, oh, this is not... Siakam's got to perform now, and you're going to pay him a billion dollars to stay for the next five years, and that production's going to keep going down, and it's going to go down for Lillard, too. And now, all of a sudden, you're going to be paying $100 million to them let alone Jeremy Grant, who's making 30. So now you're at like 130 minimum uh, by the time you get two or three years into this for those three players. 
and only Grant has upward growth curve yet. Oh boy, and you're not going to the lottery again, or this is a disaster, right? And you didn't keep Simons. I guess you have Sharp. You you pray to keep Sharp because there's the big learning or the big growth curve. So Lillard, and you hope Sharp is a superstar. Siakam doesn't diminish, and Grant stays steady. Uh, that's a lot to hope on. I mean, is it more to hope on than drafting number three? Maybe, maybe not. There's hopes involved in that too. But oh boy, you can. The desperation is dripping from that plan. Yeah, I think he's going to put a lot of pressure on the on the Blazers front office to you know ace every other test that they have, whether it's you know undrafted free agents, uh, mid level exception in, in future years, and things like that. They've got to be able to ace that if they're going to tie that much money into you know three or four guys. So. Uh, I got a lot of confidence in them based on what they did with, with Shaden Sharp and Jabari Walker and guys like that. But it's going to be tough. They got another test coming up again uh, just a couple of weeks. So I think it's, it's, I feel like it's a lot of pressure on them. Well, and here's the other thing. It's like in those scenarios, like people say, well, the Blazers can get a mid-level player. Well, first of all, no, they probably can't, or they have to be very careful because they're $11 million mid-level player, or it'd be like eight or nine because they're over the tax. You can, you can easily quadruple that with luxury tax penalties. So now you're paying $30 million for an $8 million player, right? And also with the new rules, you can very easily fall afoul of that second apron, right? And, and again, they're not going to do it now, but think re-signing Grant, re-signing Siakam. That, it's a fortune. And you're, you're only like 20, 25 million away from that apron. I do, I'm doing the figures in my head, so that may be a little bit more than that. But that's 20 or 25 million, literally, for the other 11 players on your team. You can't, you can't sign a $9 million guy in that. You're going to hit the safe second apron, and your MLE is going to be taken away from you. So, uh, it's like, this has got to be it. This is... You've got to be confident that literally this quartet, if Sharp is still in there, is the one that's going to take you to the promised land because you will not, you'll not be able to make changes. And by the way, it's not going to, you have to be presuming an ownership that was willing to pay that. I, do you think this ownership's willing to go into the luxury tax? Because I kind of don't. Uh, I would, I would, I would let you know. Let you know. <laughs> I mean, it feels like they are, like, this is cute, this is fun, and yeah, we kind of want to win, and since we have this car in the garage, we'll drive it. But if you think I'm mortgaging my house to keep this car, you're crazy, right? So, they're, they'll, they'll make it go as fast as it can, but they're not going to get work done. On. Yeah, I mean, every, every decision I feel like they've made, you know, over the last couple of years is, is basically said that they want to get younger, uh, get more youthful, so I don't know, it's... it's it's kind of hard to get a read on exactly what's going on, and I think that's a problem to have, you know, at this point in the year. Uh, I don't know. If, if you were the, the Blazers GM, do you think that you would try to go all in on winning now, or would you would you rather see them kind of get, get younger or reload? Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, the one person I don't want to be right now is Joe Cronin, because it feels <laughs> like that there are, like, four or five different waves of expectation. There's the media critique. There's the fan expectation, which is either trade Dame and get younger or keep Dame and get better. And then there's what ownership wants, like, you know, and by the way, who is ownership? Is it Jody Allen? Is it Burt Coldy at Vulcan? It's probably both. So now you've got, while the media is critiquing you, 
you've got fans who are saying two different things and a potential of ownership saying at least one and a half different things. And by the way, you can't spend money, uh, at least unless you can conclusively convince somebody that it's worth it, which is a hard task. So like, I, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not sure there is a winning scenario for Cronin here, except for I think the rebuild is the easier one. You know, as, as, as hard as it is to trade Dame, I think at least that one gets cheaper and you can sell the hope more. Boy, if you trade for Siakam, there's about five minutes of woo and like five years of oh boy, hold on. Yeah, it feels like that's not a that's a path the Blazers have kind of taken before too. So I don't know. I'm kind of with you. It's, it's a, a very tough situation for Cronin. He's got a lot of voices in his ears. And, you know, I think it's tough. I think he can he can maybe win some support if he if he does trade Dame. He trades him to a, a winning team and, and gives him a chance to win a championship. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of with you. I, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now. Um, I don't know. I did. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to kind of think about. Here's one more question on this trade thing. Uh, Bill Simmons brought up the possibility, I believe, of the Blazers actually trading Damian Lillard to the Celtics or Jalen Brown. Would you do that? I don't know. When, when, when Lillard was talking about guys that he thought moved the needle. The first name I thought thought of was Jalen Brown. So I think it'd be kind of counterproductive. Uh, but I think Brown definitely has a next, another level he can reach. You know, it's been kind of tough for him as a number two guy. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily a uh, something that's out of the realm of possibility. Like if you want to, you can actually make a bet on teams that Lillard can go to. I think it's Portland at number one. And then they got like Philadelphia, uh, Boston, New York, Los Angeles, teams like that. So people are thinking about that too. But I don't know. I, I think if you trade Damian Lillard, that's the best you can get. I think you do it. But I don't know. I feel like at 32, coming off an All-NBA season, I think there's more room for him to continue to grow and and, and maybe have another couple of more years we can contend for a title. Yeah. Uh, people are saying, too, that the trade market for Dame is pretty bare because a lot of people have made trades and and sent out a lot of picks. But you know what? For, for a player of Dame's level, things can always get done. It's kind of like the guy who goes in the back door of the restaurant instead of the front because of who you are. It, 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 if somebody wants Dame and the Blazers want to trade him, they will find a way to get three and four teams involved to get the assets right. Now, it may not be a direct, it may not be as obvious as you think, but I don't see any future in which the Blazers go, okay, market's open for Dame, and the NBA goes, nah, we're just going to give you scrap. Yeah, I don't really worry about it because not only are there always going to be superstars with other superstars, but they're also always going to be, I think, GMs that are willing to bite the bullet on something like that. You know, I think there's a reason why you got guys like like Russell Westbrook that still get paid upwards of $40 million and teams are still trying to figure him out, or a guy like John Wall, things like that. So I think that somebody's always going to be willing to take a chance on that, even as he ages. Um, and Dame has so much respect around the league, you know, from from different star players. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see him with with Los Angeles, with with LeBron James and, and and guys like that. So that's not the. I don't think I really worry about that. I think what I worry about is what team is paying him as his contract continues to balloon as he gets older. So I think that's more of the worrisome problem right now. Yeah, and that's the argument I made about you know on the pro trade Dame side in my article was that, and I think I I think this is real. He's, he scored thirty two this year. 
if he drops to 25 next year, and 25 is an enormous amount of points to score in this league, okay? But if he drops seven points, it feels like that's kind of a disaster for his value. Now, you can parse, like, okay, is he playing more of a team game? Has he got more talent around him? He's pulling back? Sure. But his salary is going up and up and up. It's going to hit $60 million in a couple of years. And I think teams will be willing to take a chance for a guy who scores 30. I think a guy who scores 25 when he did score 32, people are going like, oh, what's next, right? Is he going to go down to 20? Is he going to go down to 22? I like 22, but I'm not paying $60 million for 22. Well, what else can he do? Well, he gets assists. Well, yeah, most point cards do nowadays. I don't want to disparage Dame, but assists is a... There are a lot of players with that uh, 20x and 7 and 5, or 20x and 5 and 5 line, right? You know, assists, your first five assists are kind of like the free space on bingo, okay? Everybody gets it. But then, does he defend? Well, no, not really. We're going to have to compensate for that. Uh, does he have a winning track record? Well, yeah, I mean, he's Dame, but asterisk. Okay, so tell me what I'm paying $60 million for. It's a scorer whose scoring is declining. Uh, unless I'm the Lakers or the Knicks, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that, that argument, too. Um, I'm kind of on, like, a little bit of the other side where I'm thinking, like, he's, he's even at 33, I think he's still going to be capable of doing things that 95% of the league can't do. Um, he's got a, a game that, you know, other than the, the, the quick first step in the athleticism, I think the world-class shooting and the, the, the intangible fact that he brings off the court, I think you can kind of make that case for it too. Uh, but I think I think both sides have an argument with that as they do with, with, with all things. So, Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not worried about it with 33. He, you know, he's, that's next year, right? I mean, he, I think that's why you trade him right now, right? But I'm saying he goes through a full year, he scores 25. Is his value next summer with the ballooning contract and the extra year and now declining statistical production? Is his value next summer as high as it is this summer? I would say no. And I would say very soon after, if that continues at that level or continues to decline, his value is not going to be great at all. And this is, I think, the argument that people are making for why you need to trade Dame. Because if you're going to do it, it's not a thing where you can wait two years and then decide to do it. You will not get the same return. Yeah, I, I see that too. I look at it kind of similar to the, the whole Kevin Durant situation where you know, he was 35 and we were willing to give up multiple draft picks to get him. So, you know, I think until people see it, I think that I think there's a front office out there that's, that's still going to believe that he's still still a bit younger than maybe you think so. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I, I, hopefully there's a situation where you can win now without having to, having to give up your, your asset. So it's hard to say, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to be on your side. I will, I will hop into your vehicle and you can drive us. That's fine. Before I do, though, I mean, I would say that there's a huge difference between Durant and Dame, like eight inches of height to begin with. And, you know, one of those generational MVP talents uh, and Dame is great, but he's not that. And his game, here's what I worry about specifically, that, that step, that quick first step, because that's the basis of his 9.6 free throw shots per game, right? And he's shooting like 90%. So that's a huge, if that goes away, if that even gets slower, he's not drawing those fouls in the same way. 
and players are now able to play up on him more, which will also inhibit the three-point shooting. Now, I'm not saying he couldn't move off ball or do a lot of other things. I'm not saying he couldn't pull it out of his bag now and again. But if you're talking about the machine, the all-star, the all-NBA player, I think a lot more is dependent on his athleticism at this point than we think. And as soon as that goes, I think he's good. I think he's very good. I will never say anything bad about Damian Lillard. But I don't think he's a guy that you mortgage the farm for and pay $60 million to without those aspects. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, you want to get peak value, I think you, you have to kind of do it now. Um, and, and based on what Lillard's been saying, you know, I think he said this past year, he, this is the best that he's really ever felt, so. You know, I think if if a team is that, you know, you got you got to file that away and, and you know think about that when you when you make that that trade offer. So, yeah, if there was time to do it, just like everything else with the Blazers, I think the time is now. So, I don't know, it's, it's hard. It's tough. Well, and the reason to bring this up, and then we'll close, is that okay? Because people say, well, the draft pick, it's totally speculative, and you don't know what that player is going to do, and there's a lot of ifs. And you're right, and there's probably more ifs in that direction than on staying the course. But there are a lot of ifs now in staying the course, too. This is not 2018. Uh, there's, there's, uh, again, we just mentioned Pascal Siakam, who I think is about as good as you can get, and both of us would probably do that deal. Uh, there's a ifs with Pascal, whether he stays, whether his production stays high, whether he can fit in with Jeremy Grant. There's ifs with Damian Lillard that we just talked about, right? There's ifs with time. There's ifs with what the rest of the West is going to do. And does Kevin Durant gel in Phoenix and all of this is a waste of time anyway, because they're going to be the conference champ. Or does Denver become a powerhouse or et cetera, et cetera. It's not like this way of going steady is question free. It's just a matter of which questions the Blazers feel are most serious and which ones they're willing to tackle. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, and I think another question is, is it championship or bust? You know, we kind of talked about that, but I don't know. I don't know if fans think that trading for Siakam is going to lead to a championship. Um, so I don't know if expectations should be tempered or whatever. Whatever happens, it's kind of hard to say because it depends on the, on the fan. It depends on the observer. But um, I don't know if, if if a second round appearance and, and getting back to the postseason, just getting back into relevance is enough for you. Then I think there are options to do that. Uh, but it's hard to just envision a championship picture for this team with without injuries and whatnot. So. Well, let me ask you know. that then. We'll ask you that to close. Let's assume you're correct. The Blazers cannot win a championship, no matter who they trade for, because it's just not realistic. It can't happen. They can't get Embiid, and anyone south of that uh, is not going to do it, okay? So we know they can't win a championship, basically. Do you still move that three pick then? Um, for, for Siakam or Brown, you're saying? Or just in or, yeah, anyone. Like let's let's take Siakam. Let's say it's Brown, but you know they're not gonna win a title because it cannot be done getting from here to there in Dame's timeline. Let's presume that what you said, somehow we have perfect knowledge that there is no championship forthcoming, uh, no matter what move they make this summer. Do you trade away the three? And I don't mean like if you keep the third pick. I mean like there's no championship in Dame's tenure. By trading for a veteran now. You're going to trade for a veteran. You're going to get to the second round, maybe to the conference finals if you're lucky. But that's going to be it. And then Dame's career is going to be over in a few years. Do you move that third pick under those circumstances? I still do. Um, because I think, it's, I think the biggest thing is just giving yourself a chance. You know, you got to give yourself a shot at the dance and, and, and seeing what you can do because you just never know how 
break. You know, we've seen with 2019, the, the bracket kind of broke for them in a, in a, a way where Golden State used to have to play each other. Uh, this past year, you saw it where, you know, injuries and, and different circumstances allowed for a, a team like that. To, it, was just, it was just wide open. This is as wide open as the West has been. So I think you give yourself a chance and, and, and having a guy like Siakam and, and, and putting him with Grant and Lillard, you're giving yourself a chance where you have three different all-stars on the court at the same time with uh, another generational talent, potential generational talent in, in Shaden Sharp. So um, all of that considered, you know, you never know what might break your way. And you, if you are in position to take advantage of that, I think you try to give yourself a shot to take advantage of that. So I do. There you have it. Marlo Ferguson, trade the pick <laughs> and Simons and uh, go for it now. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have more to say next week. We'll also know who our NBA finalists are and have game one under our belt. So, oh, do you think do you think Denver's going to win it no matter who comes out of the East? Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'll tell you this. I'm a betting man, and I've got Denver. Um, so I, I, got, I got Denver. I got Denver going all the way. All right. Well, one of these uh, podcasts over the summer, you're going to have to teach me how to actually place a bet. So there we <laughs> go. For Marla Ferguson, oh. I am Dave Deckard, and we will talk to you next week.